0: Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to the Awesome Boom Podcast, Positive Vibes. Thank you so much once again for tuning back in to listen to another conversation. This week, it's an interesting conversation with a good friend of mine, Rory Kilmartin. Rory is a relationships expert, and let's face it, we all need a relationships expert in our life because life is challenging right and probably one of the hardest aspects of our lives are our intimate relationships and relationships with our loved ones our family um you know our our work colleagues our boss you know our teachers you know everything comes down to the types of relationships that we have with people next weekend in central london i've been kindly invited by rory to join his balance of power breakthrough weekend um which i'm hugely excited about just because i and just further my knowledge on how to improve the relationships that I have in my life if any of you are interested to come it is on the 8th 9th and 10th in central London and uh, the details are going to be in the show notes so just click the link and you can you can find out where to purchase tickets etc um, it's three days um, and it's going to be great fun I mean hugely hugely interesting I think I'm going to take away a, a, a large amount of information from Rory he's a really really fascinating guy and uh, a thoroughly nice chap so we might as well just get straight into this podcast because it's only about an hour and a half long and um, any questions just drop me an email if you want to contact Rory as I said all his details are going to be in the show notes including the websites to join the the weekend uh, program the balance of power which is next weekend the 8th 9th and 10th of November in central London so hugely hugely exciting so without further ado here is our conversation together so just project your lungs into there and then we'll be... No problem. We'll be good. So you're a relationship researcher. Yeah. These are all my little clinks. We're not going are we? Oh, yeah, we are. But, I mean, I'm just going to... I'll do an introduction in a minute. I usually Fine. just let people just sort of chat for a few minutes.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm a relationship researcher. That's where it all began. And it, it was... Friends who were saying who started realizing I had things to say and they started interviewing me and asking me questions And they came to me and they were like, I'm struggling with this. What do you think about this? And that's sort of how that began and then People started saying that you need to write this down like this is too good (laughs) not to brag, but it's too good and and you're saying stuff that's helping a lot and You need to write it down. So I wrote it down. I wrote a book uh, in 2003 and then we had some reading groups. I invited people to come and read that book and, and people loved it. And they reported that it made a huge difference, made life a lot easier, less confusion. Um, my mentor at the time pointed out that, you know, the great information brings order to chaos. It demystifies life. And that's what I've been attempting to do. Um, sort of a Sherlock Holmes, if you will, like deductive reasoning and interrogation, and ultimately trying to say, like, why... Is there so much dysfunction in what is essentially a simple premise like I meet you you meet me we like each other we want to spend time with each other we want to make each other feel good okay why is that such a complicated intention and I think that's mysterious and one of my the first mysteries I really came across was why is it that people have more patience respect tolerance and benevolence towards their friends than they do their intimate partner like what is that all about
0: that is weird isn't it
1: <clears throat> totally weird so as a teenager, this really fascinated me. I was like, what is going on? So that sort of was one of the mysteries that really triggered my, my curiosity. Um, and so anyway, back to the reading groups, and they reported, you know, great results. Just, just seeing more clearly can make a profound difference on your life. Nothing has to change except how you anticipate, interpret, and respond, to the circumstances of life particularly disruptive energy and when people get cross etc etc and then three people in one week said separately just said okay now you need to stand up and tell people about it. you need to write a course and i was like what i'm just a guy You're trying to figure it all out you know but when three people tell you you kind of have to sit up and take note <clears throat> so so i designed my first workshop back in 2004 i led it on may the 8th 2004 and um it was received really, really well, um, and I've been leading workshops on and off for the last uh, what is that now? We're heading to what is that? Fifteen years. It's got to be yeah, fifteen and, years. Um, and it's been you know the great privilege of my life to share my findings because that's all I really try and do. I don't, I don't have a, any uh, belief system or dogma that I'm trying to convince anyone to believe in at all. I would never dare to do such a thing. I just simply say, well, look, here are my findings. This is what I found helps people navigate their relationships and and not just intimate but all this is what helps people relate to their children with more connection and profundity their intimate partners their family members and ultimately how to navigate life with more grace and composure and compassion and without losing our center that's the great one of the great measures of becoming an elder or the the journey of maturation is initially We struggle to retain our centre. Babies and and toddlers are classic examples. They go from one emotion to the other fully. That's what you really can see in a toddler. And as we get older, we, we, as late teens and whatever, we get very easily knocked out of our centre. It makes sense because of our age. But as we get older... Ideally, in our 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond, we we ideally want to become able to be with the dysfunction and disruption of life and remain calm and be that kind of trusted elder energy that's not going to panic and isn't going to make rash, poor judgment decisions that are going to make things worse. So this journey from easily losing our center to becoming someone that can be with the vagaries and unpleasantness of life and, and, and manage ourselves is very clear. So one of the things that I'm aware of is we want to see more clearly to reduce the amount of time we are triggered and angry and cross and causing damage in our own lives and the lives of the people that we love. And it's kind of a very simple linear metric. You can kind of draw it on a graph. In an ideal world, between the age of 20 and 80, your the, the amount of time that you spend furious and, and distracted and, and impacted by other people reduces. Hmm very linear and one of the examples i use I had a friend of mine many many years ago her sister got in a a, a raging row with her fiance at the time and she was so cross she kicked the couch really to make her point about how angry she was and 18 months on crutches with cars she had three operations she's got a serious job and honor she's getting up in the morning every day and getting on trains and going and doing a serious job and it's a disaster like when we when we lose our center, we make poor decisions because our prefrontal cortex basically shuts down. And that's our decision-making capacity. So we our IQ plummets. We say mean things. Who here hasn't said mean things when they get frustrated with their partner? We do stupid things. We speed. We drink too much. We make poor judgments. And this is ultimately what separates Um, naivety and youth from experience and eldership we make better decisions and we are able to be gentle with the people that we love and I think that my my work and my research and the findings that I share in my in my workshops and with my my coaching clients is very much to just help people see more clearly that's it I don't really give advice I don't tell people what to do um, I help people see more clearly so they can make better decisions in their lives. So it's a real honor. It's a real, you know, it's the joy of my life to be able to share <clears throat> share my findings. Um, which really is kind of what we're talking about here is the, the workshop in November. Mm. And uh, I'm going to touch on that a little bit because it's the first part of my research in my late teens, early 20s and into my late 20s was very much about models of relationship. How do you relate to relating? And some people are terrible at it. They get into a relationship. It's basically in the realm of ownership and I could go down that path. And some people enter someone's life and they, they it occurs like a profound privilege to enter someone's life and hold the space for their maturation and their life unfolding in a non-ownership, non-controlling uh, way. And it's just how you see the world. So that was really my first main area of research. And then in my 30s, I came a cropper, like the a wheel fell off the car of my life and I really had to look in the mirror and I I observed feedback that was telling me that I was missing major pieces of the puzzle, not just little ones, major pieces. And I set about, totally focused on discovering what was going on. I had no relationship. I didn't really spend any time with women. I had no sex at the time. And I uh, managed to uh, get a job that enabled me to be unmanaged living in london for the most part and i did that job very well but i really focused on my research and i lived with my mentor um, in his work apartment he would go home every night and we would work every day between three and nine hours a day every day for three to five years it was my total life figuring this out and it's what i call the balance of power because that's what i called it at the time And um, recently it became clear I had to organize my thoughts and bring them together in a way that enabled me to share and impart the the power and the value of of these findings. So I've designed The Balance of Power. It's a three-day workshop and it essentially reveals the archetypal energetic piece that is at the foundation of people losing their power. And it's not that, to be clear, it's not that we want to become a robot. It's not that we want to become emotionless. I have waves of emotion throughout the day, some pleasant, some unpleasant. But my capacity to not do dumb things as a result is a good thing. It's not the absence of emotion. It's the presence, if you will. Character is not the right word, but it's the presence of mind to be able to, to um to translate what is going on inside us in a way that's effective, to put simply. So the balance of power reveals how we give our power away and why we give our power away and what are the fundamental concepts that lie within us, the archetypal concepts that have us do this because it's to our detriment now obviously we can't shortcut this you can't go to a 20 year old and really sort of start saying okay look you must never give away your power or get cross or upset because actually sometimes we do need to get cross and upset to our to express something to somebody else it's not the absence of these vital aspects of our human condition but when we get into our mid 30s late 30s 40s and we we, we want we become parents and potentially managers or business leaders or we start working with other human beings and mentoring other human beings it begins to become much more important I think that's the there's an age piece that I think is important to know and the the workshop also reveals um, which parts of us we've did we've discarded essentially uh, so i speak about myself because that'll make it a bit more real. So I discovered in my early 30s that I, I was giving away my power. And the feedback was like I would lose my ambition, I would lose my motivation, I'd become very obsessed about what someone's behaviour was about me. I would take things very personally. And it became clear to me that this was not working at all, even though it was the only way I knew how to behave. It didn't even occur to me that there was anything wrong with the way I was behaving. But at some point, James Hollis describes it as, our capacity for self-deception is exhausted. And we observe the enemy in the mirror and the morning light. And I knew that I had to figure some things out. So as obvious as it sounds, it's not obvious to somebody living their life. We can't see ourselves in the mirror until we stop and look in the mirror. We affect people around us blindly. We don't realise that the way we're behaving is is in any way dysfunctional. We don't notice the impact typically. Um, until the feedback reaches us, our wife says, I can't live with you anymore. Then they walk out. Or the best friend doesn't call you back and is struggling to communicate with you. Or you get passed up for... promotion three or four times or you constantly have no money at the end of the month like and it just becomes so normal but power dynamics is the for me the number one area in relationships that if you understand it changes everything most people say communication is the most important thing it isn't the research suggests that people who are very effective at relationships when they're asked Uh, let me go the other way around people who really struggle in relationships the number one thing that they say that matters is communication if you speak to people who are considered masters of relationships or have profoundly beautiful relationships they don't say it's communication they say it's respect that's the number one thing the reason why people who are struggling say communication is the number one thing is because respect is missing and the way they communicate to each other hurts And the reason why respect is missing is because people don't understand these fundamental archetypal nature of of us and how we deal with breakdowns. And that's what this workshop really reveals in full Technicolor. And there's something phenomenally powerful just about knowing it. It's almost like there's no jargon involved. There's no becoming a veterinary doctor of veterinary science or learning how to fix jet engines these are all highly complicated tasks sometimes just being shown something can change us and i think that's why i try to simply just lay out my findings because i don't want anyone to have to jump through hoops i don't want anyone to have to be intelligent it's just you're either you either have enough awareness to be introspective and be in a conversation about seeing more clearly or you don't if you don't then probably not the right room to be in but if you can read and you are introspective and you are able to consider your role for example in an argument and you are able to apologize and express remorse and you are interested in living a better life and and being you know I think inherently the vast majority of us are good people we wake up in the morning and we want to do right by the people we come across, whether it's the bus instructor, your friend, your neighbor, your colleagues, your partner, it doesn't matter. I think it's a very small percentage to wake up thinking, how am I gonna screw people over today? And we think of those people as malevolent, meaning they're, they know that they wanna screw people over. But I think a lot of us cause damage and dysfunction to people in a malignant way, meaning it's not conscious. We don't wake up to have a fight with our partner. But we end up having one because we get frustrated and then our IQ plummets and we say something mean. But then we have regret. Good, Most people have regret. They feel bad, like, God, I didn't want to do this today. How can I make it better? And I think these basic characteristics are, um, they're relevant, you know? I think if people want to do right by themselves and other people, this is this is amazing material. For the average decent human being that just wants to love, love themselves and love their partner and their children and their friends and family, in a in a way that works.
0: Why do you think, or you know, what have you, what have you come across? Um, what do you think, why do you think that we struggle so much with our intimate relationships? I mean, you know, I've, you know, I've been, I'm on my second marriage you know my first marriage broke down pretty quick pretty quick 18 months um and you know like you sort of say you know we we'll, we'll make so many allowances for like our best mate yeah or the boys down the pub mm. we'll excuse so many different types of behaviours yeah but then when it comes to the person that we're most intimate with then we don't we seem to mm mm-hmm we seem to not want to put up with that. And, and it's, it's an interesting, I, I don't think I truly understand it at mm-hmm. all why. And, and this is why I'm interested in having this conversation. This is mm-hmm. why I'm super excited to be invited onto the course next month or in November, sorry. Is for me to have a much deeper understanding of relationships. I have very key, very important relationships mm-hmm. in my life. They don't always go to plan, um, but then nevertheless, they're very, very important. And you know for me over the last year I've I've really started to recognize how how my behavior can affect people on a massive scale and how my past behaviors affected you know the people that I loved you know like we discussed before we came online you Mm -hmm. know talking about you know my alcohol abuse my drug abuse due to mental health issues that I'd ultimately just suppressed I mean I was aware of them at 21 years old Mm -hmm. you know I did an amazing course in neuro linguistics and You know, during that sort of journey, I I realized that I struggled. I struggled with lots of different aspects in my life. But at the time, at 21, I didn't believe that I had the skills. I had no idea how to sort of start addressing that. It all felt too painful, too complex.
1: Yeah, it's very complicated.
0: So it was easier just to go, well, you know, alcohol works, man. Mm -hmm. You know, a few beers and that rounds off the edges pretty quick. You don't have to really think about it. Oh, and it's socially acceptable. Yeah. Um, so yeah I, I feel I, I took for me you know this is my opinion I, I took the cowardice way out of just going well I, I don't want to touch this dark area yet so I'm just going to continue this destructive behavior which ultimately truthfully deep down if I'm going to be honest with myself I knew it was going to be disastrous you know chemically cautioning yourself with alcohol and drugs every single day just so you could function
1: Yeah, I'd be a little more gentle on you you than you are on yourself and just say that at at your age, that was the the best path that you could muster at that time because it is highly complex and it's not, and I don't want to sound ageist, but it's not easy for the young mind to consider. Um, Something important happens in midlife and it is our capacity for self-deception runs out and then we realize that we don't know anything. And we've got to do some some work. Until then, we're we're trying to build ego strength to survive midlife. It's almost like our twenties need we need to be a little inflated and a little arrogant to 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 gather enough ego strength in the positive sense to be able to navigate the the treacherous passage, the channel of midlife. And that's James Hollis. I'm practically quoting him verbatim. It's, so I think, uh, I don't know if that helps, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be more gentle on you than you you can be whoever you want to be, but <laughs> I'm just letting you know that you did exactly what you could do in that moment, and the most important thing is that you found your way to deep introspection and doing your work, that's the only thing that matters, is that you've done your work.
0: Oh yeah, just yeah. Uh, yeah. 19 years later, another lifetime. Yeah. But then sometimes, I mean, actually, I, I think you're right. You know, as you as you get to that midlife, and I consider myself midlife, you know, mid mid age now. You know, I'm 40 in a couple of months, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I wouldn't have had the 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 perception, the the life skills, the understanding, yeah. the experience to yeah. be able to look at yourself critically and go, "Ah, oh, man, you know what? You know, a lot of the stuff in your life, which is sort of." Mm-hmm gone sideways that is your fault and that's okay mm. you know because this is the game of life you know it's all about learning experiencing but now you know with nearly 40 years worth of experience you really do need to sort of mm. you need to pull your shit together and uh, well you can choose yeah you've got that choice you can, sure. you can and I was very clearly shown that path mm-hmm. I, I remember it you know literally two paths I was shown when I was on the plant medicines it's like look you, you can continue down this path and you know what? and there's nothing wrong with that and if you if you choose to do that it's free will man and we yeah. you know you're given that and you knock yourself out yeah and then it's just this nice little however however, however <laughs>
1: let me introduce you to the other part
0: <laughs> if you should decide to do your do your healing and fix your shit have a t- look down this path and and, and this is where you're going to go to and it was really it was, it was explained to me in such a profound way of like every single time you behave like this, every single time you drink, every single time you Mm. take drugs, every single time you you, you start going into those negative thought processes, you're knocking yourself out of alignment every single time. And by doing that, you're just removing yourself further and further and further away from ultimately all that you desire. Mm-hmm. you know this this freedom this confidence this clarity this connectiveness to 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 life which is what i was missing i was desperate just to feel mm. part of something instead of just feeling just so separate from and yeah i mean reflection now i mean it's been it's been pretty much a year pretty much a year to you know a couple of weeks and it's been a phenomenal journey and i and i've learned so much about relationships mm. you know my relationship with my wife and deepening that on a on a, on a completely different new level of friendship and trust and love and you know exploring our mistakes, our errors, our, our weak points. And uh, now I I, 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 I wanna become, you know, even better at creating really strong relationships with people because I mean I do this for work you know I create relationships with my clients and mm. then we go on a very intimate journey of self discovery and healing and and you know fixing and um, I think it's a I think it's a phenomenal area and I think it's an area that many more people need to focus on or mm. we'll start exploring because actually when I look through a lot of a lot of our friends, you know, and you know, I don't know anyone who has a perfect relationship. No, nope. you know, it, you know, people love each other, sure. But I mean, I, I mean, I know people who are in relationships and that actually they don't love each other. It's they're kind of fallen into the relationship for whatever reason, yeah. whatever story they've told themselves. And I find that tragic. I find that really, really sad. Um, and I wonder why we we invest in those types of relationships which are going to be hopefully one of our most important relationships but Mm. then as i said you know we kind of we won't give it as much attention as a best friend relationship or other stuff And like why what is that all about these questions
1: are beautiful and they're they are what drove me back in the day for the first part of my of the main two pieces of my main research um i'm concerned about diving down the rabbit hole with you Um, But I'll, I'll share a couple of things. The first is, I knew at an early age that a lot of the answers were in history. That there was something like, I feel like I've woken up on this blue planet that we call Earth. We're hurtling around this star that we call the sun. And people are relating to each other this way. This has not happened. We didn't all wake up and decide to do this. This has been a, an evolution of something. So I went back into history and I, I discovered a huge amount. Um, and Stephanie Kuntz wrote a book called Marriage A History and it's probably regarded as the most impressive history on marriage and relationships um, that is available to us when I was doing my research there was no history of relationships that I could find it was one of the the key moments in my life I was furious with the adults I was like you bloody people like why haven't you figured this out I'm trying to figure it out but fortunately Stephanie was finishing her work at the time For the majority of documented ages, people did not marry for love. It was not about love. It was about familial alliances, economic alliances, political power, social uh, status. Your family is carpenters and you build barns. We are in the grain business if my daughter marries your son, we can get together, we can build bars, and together we will be a bigger, more powerful and competitive uh, family of in-laws. It wasn't until the late 19th century that after Romanticism and Industrial Age and a number of other, there's a natural uh, um, process which I, which I go through in my workshop where you can see <clears throat> that it wasn't until this time where the the focus on individual human rights and happiness became relevant so then people started marrying for love, before it was mostly arranged marriages, people basically uh, didn't get married for love it was very functional, life expectancy wasn't particularly high, nothing like what it is now so it was very much an ownership based model, you're now mine Women didn't have bank accounts until the First World War. It was 1886, the Marriage Property Act, where women were actually allowed to bring property of their own into a marriage rather than just handing it all over to their husband. And yet they started working in the First World War and contributing to the economy and paying taxes. And and it wasn't until 1923 in the UK that they could vote. Someone online, they were allowed a bank account. Like, this isn't long ago. No. So women were the property of their husband, as was anything that they owned was handed over to the husband. And when you operate inside of a form of ownership, it is instantly corrupting. Somebody's in charge of the other person. Anyone with any ungrounded, um, tyrannical, autocratic, bullying, sadistic, behavioral patterns is going to be corrupted by the very idea of being in charge of another human being. All of this work has been um, outlined clearly by Philip Zimbardo, who was the, the, the guy who did the Stanford Prison Experiment, and he's the world's leading researcher on evil, that it's not so much that there's rotten apples, it's that there's a rotten barrel. So the model of relationship that we've inherited is essentially, for most people, a rotten barrel. We're gonna get into a relationship where suddenly we're gonna hand over ownership to each other, the right to get angry and cross, the right to chastise, the right to be righteous. God damn you. And this is why people are trying to have a relationship inside of this rotten barrel, which is not about you're imperfect and there's a vast expanse for your humanity and I don't need you to be perfect. And there's space and freedom for you to be you and if it's not your truth to be with me then we'll deal with that at the time and and my role in your life is to hold the space for your ongoing maturation and al- along the way i'm going to try and be as respectful and gentle of you as i possibly can that's not the conversation the conversation is fulfilling this uh, inherited um you just have to look at the vows the vows are they're all in there. I, we, didn't, we wrote. My wife and I wrote our own vows, no surprise. But the, the vows are, um, it's all in there. And that's not what our soul has in store for us. The vast majority of people are not supposed to be in one relationship for life. It's not what their soul's design is. It's not what their maturation requires of them. And the way I think about it is, our ongoing maturation is the most centrally important aspect of our life and of the human condition. It's not never, never separating it's not being a parent. For some people being a parent is not the truth. Mm. It's not it's not that. So often we are trying to have relationships based on a mental model that's not consistent with our spiritual the spiritual agenda at all. So therefore it's much easier to respect our friends because we don't own them. We, we relate to them like it's a privilege that, we, that they're in our lives. Now, friendships go sour when people start thinking that they have rights over their friends. And I've seen this many times In when friends know each other as friends, then they fall in love and get into a partnership. And suddenly the kindness and respect they had before they fell in love goes and is replaced by this sense of mutual ownership and judge, jury, and executioner type behavior. So ownership reduces our, um, the safety that people can apologize and express remorse. So remorse is the healing elixir of breakdowns. That's why remorse is so often spoken about in uh, reporting of criminal uh, matters. The defendant did not express remorse. It's a key part of because remorse is healing for victims and for people who've been wronged. It's very difficult to express remorse when the person in front of you feels very bloody righteous and very cross and very right about how wrong you've been. It's much easier to express remorse when someone has said, you yeah, know, you're imperfect, I get it. How can we resolve this together? And then remorse just comes tumbling out and healing and reconnection emerges. So people struggle in relationship because they are relating with, the, with a model that doesn't serve them. It doesn't serve as most of us today. I have to be careful. For a lot of people, the old model does support them because they cannot be trusted. They don't trust their own behaviour. They need to be in a rigid kind of zoo-like enclosure where this is acceptable behaviour, this is not acceptable behaviour. And if you go over there, you will be scolded and I may leave you and take the children. Are we clear? Because you, person, cannot be trusted to behave with integrity and with decency. That's why we have jails, for God's sake. But for people like myself, and I believe someone like you, that's not necessary for you. The great check and balance of relationship is that the idea that if I am selfish and lazy and I don't give a toss, I'm going to hurt the person I love. Are you kidding? There's not a chance. I was in a workshop not long ago. And we were talking about this and said, "Well, if you give somebody freedom, they're going to mistreat you. And I said, okay. Does anybody in the room here own a dog? And Like three hands went up. I said, quick question. Uh, Why don't you, you know, give your dog a really punch it in the face? Why don't you do that? And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, but you can, right? You have, you have the freedom to do that. Why don't you do that? Because I don't want to hurt my dog. And why? Because your dog loves you. Yes, my dog loves me. And if you did, your dog would find it difficult to love you. They'd hide in the corner. Yes, exactly. Okay, that's why. Most decent people do not need to be held under some kind of punitive judicial environment to behave properly. They actually need to have no, no boundaries, and they need to discover about themselves who they really are in the world. And I know that the idea of hurting my wife is an is an anathema to me. But there, but I don't operate. We don't have rules for each other. We just have this ongoing exquisite invitation to experience our lives and to choose our lives and to wake up in the morning knowing that you are a self-determining human being. Your agency matters. People have fought and died for our freedom and our privilege to be who we are. And I want to extend that invitation, and I do, to my wife, for her to show up the way she wants to show up in the world. The net result is we have run into each other's arms. I'm trying to brag. Like, of course, it's not perfect. We we deal with breakdowns because that's what maturation requires. But our breakdowns are gentle, and and there's remorse, and there's kindness, and we care about each other. And neither of us are the prison warder. I you know I say it very clearly. Like, very few people run into the arms of their prison warder. It's not spoken. No one writes love songs about their prison warder and how they run into their arms. You've never heard those lyrics before because that's not how it works. So, the more people are the sort of uh, truncheon rattling, key rattling prison water in their relationship, the less connection, the less tenderness, the less intimacy, the less vulnerability they're going to experience. And for the right people, and I mean like decent, well meaning, kind, benevolent people who have good intentions, for those people, the less rules and the less uh, sort of prison water behavior there is, the better version of them is going to show up in the world and it's just a long process for some people to figure out because the only thing they know is what they saw as children
0: yeah no that's that's so true why why is it so interesting when you talk about obviously possession i mean you because you see this a lot in relationships Mm -hmm. you see where people you know they really do think that the other person involved in the relationship is theirs it's a possession and it's about control the only thing they know yeah And it's just so tragic when you sort of see these sort of relationships because, you know, they're just, I feel like they're just born out of fear. Very much so. The question is which one? Yeah. So
1: there are two primary fears in relationships. The first is abandonment, being alone, being left, being thrown out of the village. It's very much in our DNA. And the other is overwhelmment, being stuck in a miserable experience with you can't leave. You don't have enough money to get divorced. Your children are going to be taken from you and you can't leave. And it's just that stuck. I admit I'm much more on the overwhelm scale and it's completely understandable from my childhood. Like it just makes sense. I don't want to be oppressed and contained and held and judged and somebody being upset with me. It does not appeal to me and my nervous system at all. Some people are so afraid of being left and being alone that they will stay in a miserable relationship for years than be alone. Either way, it's just an unprocessed fear. If you want to mature as a human being, at some point you have to become okay with the free will and agency of another human being, including them leaving you. And you have to know that you can function in the world and continue to operate and do right by the people that you love and that if somebody wants to leave you it's not necessarily personal And we don't have to be like this massive victim wounding like you've left me yeah it might be their truth to leave it's not it might have nothing to do with you mm. so a lot of people project ownership on their partner because a it's what they know b They've got this unprocessed fear, which is exactly what you were pointing to, saying, if you leave me, I'm going to die. I'm just going to cease to exist. I'm going to dissolve into a puddle of snot on the floor if you leave me. So I've got to chain you up in my prison. I'll be the prison warder. You promise not to leave. In fact, I might even threaten to commit suicide if you leave, just if that helps you stay, because we can't have you leaving.
0: But that's the crazy thing. I mean, I, I, I know of relationships like that yeah. where they're, they're totally dysfunctional. They're not working. It's, you know, it's born out of fear. Mm-hmm. You know, the other person wants to sort of get out of it. But the other person, you know, the other side, you know, will throw out those cards. Yep. Yeah. You know, I'll hurt you. I'll hurt someone else. I'll hurt myself yeah. if you do this. I've, I've heard it all. Yeah. And you're just like, that's just terrifying. And I mean, now, I mean, you know, like we were sort of discussing earlier, I have a very different relationship with my wife. You know, there is no, there is no possession. Mm-hmm. And actually I said to her about, oh, about six months ago, well, after I've been doing, going through a deep process, I, I, I phoned her up and I was like, I've just realized that um, I'm no longer attached to you. And she's like, what the hell's does that bloody mean? I said, I'm no longer attached I said because for an attachment, attachment can be taken. Mm-hmm. I said, but I'm. I realise now I'm just connected to you. Mm. I said we're just connected, mm. and since that sort of that, mm. that, that shift, and you remove that ownership, and you realise that they are their own sovereign being, and yeah. ultimately, I mean, they can choose to do whatever the hell they yeah. want to do, and that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Are you closer or
1: further away from each other now? Much closer. Much closer. Much closer. So what you've just pointed to, and I love what you've just shared, by the way, is that the behavior of ownership is counterproductive. It produces the opposite of what people want. The more people try and control and scare people into not leaving or behaving, you know, forbidding you from going out with any female that you know in your life, Mm -hmm. let alone an ex-girlfriend, any female, for example, right? Classic example. This all of this behavior produces a an, an internal involuntary yearning to leave, the exact opposite of what's being intended. If you really want someone to stay, you aim to profoundly respect their free will and their choice, and make their experience of you joyful. They're never going to leave. Mm. There's nobody at a bar that, or anyone in life, that is going to replace. A highly respectful, profoundly connected connection between two people. Because it's unique.
0: Mm. That's very powerful.
1: So on the other side of our fear is our liberation and our magnificence and our capacity to love beautifully. And that's why I call it unprocessed fear. It's just unprocessed fear because that points to you just haven't processed it yet most people relate to fear a classic example is jealousy most people relate to jealousy as this permanent fixture in the in their psyche it's an unprocessed fear it is jealousy is something that you can process and and move beyond and on the other side of it is a much more magnificent version of yourself and I'm not going to get into an argument about the role of jealousy because there are categories and you can argue that there is a place for wanting to protect the, particularly the family unit that you're creating, well, I would assert that that's just common sense. It doesn't have to be driven by the green-eyed monster. And often, not to go down this path too far, but often people mistake, they just add the word jealousy to any unpleasant feelings they have in relation to this kind of area of life. I mean, a simple example, let's say you're out with your girlfriend and you're at the bar and someone's giving your girlfriend the eye and they're flirting or whatever and and you kind of say, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm generally, uh, and, they, and they're rude to you, right? That is not jealousy. That's bad manners. Like, you have a wave of cortisol inside you because someone's basically being arrogant, rude, and entitled. That doesn't have to be classified as jealousy. That's just bad manners. Mm. It's the same nervous system trigger. Like, you just feel it. There's some fire. <clears throat> so coming back... Until we have the willingness to look in the mirror and, and process our fears, we are an agent of chaos. We, we risk being potentially the worst thing that's ever happened to the person that we love. If we are willing to do our work, and that's why I, I have designed and created my workshops the way I have, is that it gives people a chance no matter where they're at to, to take the next step on their level of maturation in this area you have the potential to become the best thing that's ever happened to the person that you love. I think that's worth getting out of bed for. I think that's worth reading the books, going to a workshop, speaking to a counselor, mentor, therapist, and asking rigorous, difficult questions about the way we show up in the world. I read a great article once. This woman said, um, it was a clever title. It was I can't remember the title, but what it pointed to was, Um, when I fell in love with my boyfriend, he didn't accept huge amounts about me, which is the total opposite of what most people say, you know, unconditional love, baby. You know, we've got to really, you know, love me the way I am. Well, it's fucking debatable, quite frankly. And he said, you know, she was like, I was messy, I didn't cook, I wasted my money and I didn't call my friends. And now my boyfriend who loves me has helped me become somebody that's, loves cooking food and I save my money and I have great friendships. I'm in better health. I eat but like just basically reeled off how he supported her seeing more clearly. So I like that because it's quite clever. It's the opposite of what most people are pointing to. Um, But I think it's for, for the average decent human being wanting to do right by the person you love is an innate desire and we're unfortunately tethered by this what i call the old model of relationships which is inherited it's old it was designed in a time when love was not the game working in the village and looking after the in-laws and being a part of a functioning of community was the agenda people used to think that falling in love was a mental illness they would call the version of the psych ward if anyone got this, this, there's, there's huge amounts of evidence in diaries and writings throughout the ages of falling in. <laughs> they, they love each other. <laughs> it's laughable. You're a joke. You're not you're not sane. And the other problem with it was, of course, <clears throat> when you fall in love with somebody, you become very self centred in Not in a bad way, but you get into a bubble. People might be dying in the village. It was dangerous. It's cholera, not enough food. Winter's coming. Like we can't afford to have everyone just willy nilly falling in love and wanting to spend days on end in their hut, making love. Like, no, we're trying to survive 21st century. It's a different world. We have above ground caves. We have central heating, hot water, bank accounts, money, Food from anywhere in the world can be delivered to your door on Just Eat app. Just put out, we live in the age of gods, right? So we can fall in love. We can experience outside of our left brain, deep wonderland experiences that make our lives richer and help us see more clearly who we are. But we're struggling, many people are struggling with a model of relationships that's not designed for that purpose. So for me the new model of relationships which is what one of my workshops is about is very much about what you just touched on and it's productive not counterproductive. The more we can relate to a human being with profound respect the richer our connection is the more they will want to be with you the more life has a richer quality to it and life is tough like life is mean and tough there are we unfortunately have malevolent energy in this human experience. Like, there's meanness and craziness going on in the world. And in an ideal world, we want to come home to a warm, psychologically safe, connected environment where we're seen and heard and loved and soothed. And we feel like it's all worthwhile. My hell on earth would be in a job I don't love, having a miserable experience with miserable um tyrannical type behavior and then going home to a siberian gulag of a house where there's no love and only crushing disappointment and misery like that's my hell on earth i have to be able to come home to a a warm hug and someone to look me in the eye and and i feel like it's okay and i get to provide that for somebody else i don't think life is worth living without that i really don't there's not enough money in the world that you could pay me where I'd have to go home to a, a house where there's coldness and animosity and, and oppositionality and polarisation. There's no amount of money you could give me to go home to that. If I could go home to my wife and feel loved and seen and and feel warmth and connection, for me it's worth it.
0: You know. No, no, I I, I agree, and I was just I was just thinking whilst you were you were talking. Um this is, the, this is the scary thing, you, and you see it, especially living in large cities like London. If, you, if, we, if we trundled off into mm. sort of central town, you know, about 5.30, 6 o'clock, mm. you'd get all the workers spilling out of their offices. Yeah. They all head to the pub. They all seem to need, like, you know, a, a load of alcohol and maybe other substances before they then depressingly jump on a train, whiz home.
1: London Bridge in
0: February. Yeah, it's all been there, and I and I and I talk. You know, a lot of a lot of clients I work with, you know, discuss this. They're like, "Do you know what? I don't understand." You know, I'm forty forty five years old. You know, I've gone through life. I've ticked all these boxes. I've ticked all these boxes, which well, I was explained and told that you know, if you tick all these boxes, that you, you'll re- you'll reach Nevada. You'll you'll get to that point where everything just makes sense and life yeah. is beautiful. And these guys, you know, they go into the city, they do very well on paper, you know, they make good money, they have good jobs, they have the house, they have the cars, they've got the wives, girlfriends, whatever. But so often they are just completely empty. And I remember a friend of mine discussing his personal life with me and he, you know, very, very successful, worked for Goldman Sachs, you know, earning big bucks. And I met up with him. I hadn't seen him for about five years. I was just, oh, dude, you know, you're doing, like, really, really well. And, you know, congratulations. And he's just like, he's like, man, he said, I've never been more unhappy. I was like, how on earth can you be unhappy? You made a, you got a million pound bonus last year. I was like, you live the life. And he's like, dude, he said, I'm in a job that I hate. He said, I'm in a job that if I fuck up, they will ruin me. I'll never get a job in this industry again. They'll, They'll literally throw everything at me and just destroy my (laughs) reputation my career he said i'm married to a woman who all she's interested in is my money and spending it and spending it you know i want to have children she doesn't want to have children because it's going to affect her body and how she looks and all this sort of jazz he said to be honest he said i'm absolutely fucking miserable i was like oh my god what a like a horrible space to get into i mean what wow on paper
1: you have everything you
0: ticked all the boxes and you've got this pretty European wife but she's as cold as ice she doesn't give a shit you know she treats you like shit you know and it's just like tragic it's really really tragic but we see it a lot yeah
1: a lot of people marry for the deal you see that a lot what's the deal I'm going to share with you my treasures I'm going to give them to you What am I gonna get back in return? And it makes sense when you look at the old model. Yeah. Because that's what people have done for generations. It's the dowry. It's the state the caste system and the status system. How much do you have and how much do we have? How beautiful are you and you're gonna give child like that whole it's a deal. It's fine. But it's not enough for heart centred people. It's not enough for people who want to live a, a, an open-hearted, full-hearted life. That's not—it's not nearly enough. And f- fingers crossed, this this person you describe will will be able to navigate himself out of that predicament and end up <clears throat> with somebody who he does—they don't care. Mm. It's like what matters is: can I feel you?
0: Well, actually, interesting. What what has happened to him because of? the sort of financial crisis and stuff like that he's now had to relocate abroad to a completely foreign country again which he absolutely hates he still can't get rid of his wife she's going to take everything because she's just he's like she will take everything yeah she'll make my life hell yeah you know our friends are all intertwined so Mm -hmm. it's 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 talking about a complete and utter breakdown of just everything yeah I was just like man gosh you know that's just a terrifying yeah terrifying sort of situation to sort of find yourself in but I think it's fairly, fairly common. It's not uncommon. Mm. It's not uncommon.
1: And for me, it's, it's two main pieces of my research are, you've got to understand models of relationship. Because then you get to choose. You get to determine, what is the foundation of, of what is the house? What did we build our house on? Is it a pro- form of a prison? Because the honey's gone now, the the biochemicals have gone, like having sex three or four times a week or more, it's kind of gone. And now it's like the drudgery of life. So are our hearts at the front and center of our experience, or is it the deal and the prison water experience that so many people have? And the second piece is, if you do end up in a heart-centered relationship, how do you ensure that the autonomic, involuntary nature of power dynamics doesn't polarize you? and you know the the event that i'm running in november can i talk about it for a moment of course you can yeah please do. <clears throat> so the 8th 9th and 10th of november in central london just by euston station there's a really beautiful hotel um, is the balance of power workshop and if you're interested if you're listening i'll just can i give the webpage yeah of course you can, yeah so if you're if you're online the webpage is www.relationalpowerdynamics.com that's relationalpowerdynamics.com and uh, the event is called The Balance of Power. It's a three-day event. If there's anything about this conversation that's interested you or tweet your interest, go to that webpage, check it out. You can reach out to me. You can schedule a call with me. You can send me an email. It'd be a pleasure to meet you. Just mention this podcast and how you heard about me and what you're listening to. Been honored to speak to you. And what we'll be doing in those three days is revealing this astonishing, like I just said, involuntary the way power dynamics operates is it's not voluntary so just like a seesaw if if somebody takes a step out on a seesaw you're either going to come tumbling towards them or you've got to take a step out to balance it and this is what's happening in life in our relationships Um, and we don't understand what's going on and until we do understand what's going on even the people that we care about the most we're going to lock heads with and dealing with i I reveal the survival archetypes the the four fundamental ways of being that human beings deal with breakdowns so we've looked at typology in a number of different ways but i've discovered the typology of breakdowns Changes everything it's an absolute game changer because once you understand who your partner is and how they deal with breakdowns and how they deal with frustration you're able to respond to them in a way that works for the most part People respond the way they've been set up to respond. And that doesn't work for 75% of the population. Mm. And then we move into power dynamics and fundamentally how to integrate the missing pieces of our lives. So if any of this interests you, if you're at a stage in your life where it's like, hold on, I could really do with a a bit of introspection here, a bit of work. Um, relationalpowerdynamics.com um, and reach out to me. I'm going to be there. You're
0: going to be there, so we'll both be there together. I'm, I'm, I'm so very excited because, uh, like, you know, as you know, you have been familiar with my journey over the last yeah. sort of period of time, and um, you know, I've been able to sort out my drink and drug issues. I've mm. been able to sort out the anxiety and the depression, and this is just a, this is just another area I'd really like to fine tune mm. and tweak because it's it's for me it's, it is just so important because you know I realize you know from having you know my first marriage breaking down you know, being unpresent and, mm. you know, difficult with my relationship with my wife and, and upsetting her and creating pain and yeah. frustrations with her, mm. you know, because of who yeah. I was or, or, or who I wasn't being, more to the point. And now, you know, especially sort of, just about to hit 40 years old, it's something that I really want to sort of master and really truly understand because I want to create life, I want to have children, and, you know, that that is again creating very intimate relationships yeah. with, with, with with people that you've you've helped create. So, so I mean what a wonderful what a wonderful gift and oh yeah. And and so vital to be able to have very powerful, open, honest relationships with your family and friends and and it's interesting because also, you know, the relationships we do have with our family and how often that those are difficult and strained and you know these are mm. these are our family you know our parents mm. our creators and you know how the, how we can have huge relationships breakdowns you know with them you know i've had it i've had it with my mum you know where for, for pretty much two years i did i you know i cut her out of my life i didn't talk to her because mm. of the way i perceived her behavior yeah now Being able to look at it from a from a from a totally different perspective, it was able. I'm able to understand why she behaves like that. You know, it does come down to insecurities and her childhood and and, and all of these lacks Mm. that she had. Um, so I think you know, really fine tuning your your skills in creating healthy, free relationships is is so powerful. Oh
1: yeah, look. One of the greatest acts of gifts you can give yourself is becoming more competent in any of the three primary games. So there are three primary games in life, the relationship game, the health game and the money game. And they're primary because you cannot avoid them. The only caveat is you could argue that you could become a monk or a nun and, and not live with money and go to a commune somewhere. OK, but if you leave, you've got to take a bus and then money's back in your life. So <laughs> kind of we live in a world where you have to deal with money. But the other games are optional, right? Religion is optional, academia is optional, art is optional, becoming a parent is optional. So there's optional games. But these three primary games are are absolutely critical. And there's no greater act of of self-preservation and self-love that you can do to improve your awareness and your abilities in any of these three areas, to learn more about financial literacy and how you deal with your own money, likewise, your health and vitality. But of course, if you invest some time energy and money in better understanding relationships and the art and craft of relating it is the One of these single most profound things you can do for yourself and the people that you love Because we're all trying to have less stress less breakdowns less dysfunction and more workability connection love order and I think I've already said it, but workability like workability trumps dysfunction, right? Mm. You know, if the roof is leaking it's the only thing you can think about and in relationship terms if you're disconnected from the person that you love and they are in pain because of it you can't perform at work you can't perform in the bedroom you can't be a great parent because it's overwhelming so for me like everything that you've shared about your story it's like you had to deal with the foundations and these foundations came to roost and you've dealt with them now And now it's like, okay now i'm grounded and centered and calm and whatever words you would rather use, not me. But it's kind of like, okay, now, I, now I've freed up enough of my attention to go and look at this critical area of life. Because to be clear, it's a critical area of life. It's central. And people, a lot of people, do it doesn't even occur to them that they could go and do a workshop and become more competent in this area. But that's a, that's a naivety that's costly. You know, it's costly.
0: It's extremely costly because Ugh. I mean, you know, I, I talk to, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people a week online, you know, about life issues and things they're experiencing. Yeah. And actually relationship breakdown is, is, is right up it's there right as, up as there. one of the major things because like you you know, you highlighted, if your relationship is in tatters, that affects every aspect of your life, right?
1: yeah these three primary games like if your relationship is highly dysfunctional it affects everything if your health is dysfunctional and you're sick and in bed and unable to perform it affects everything if you have wasted all your money and thrown away your money and pissed away your money and messed up with your money and you can't pay the bills it takes over your entire life to not get thrown out of your apartment to not lose your house to be able to feed your baby of course it does So these three central games, I know I'm repeating myself, but they are so critical to the quality of our life. Nobody wants to be in the twilight years of their lives struggling in any of these areas. In an ideal world, we have good health and vitality and flexibility and strength and cardiovascular strength and and, uh, cellular level health. We have close uh, connections and warmth and love and people wanna hold our hand and be in our lives and look us in the eye and come and sit with us on the couch and have dinner with us and the list goes on. And we also want to be functioning well financially. We don't wanna be worrying about how to pay the bills when we're in our 70s. So these three areas are the critical areas to invest in. And me personally, I have ended up in the relationship world because that's just where my life path has taken me. Um, And I think that's why we're here today, isn't it? Just to be able to talk about this critical area of life because incompetence in this area of life, and I think almost the whole adventure is not worth it. Another way of saying it, I say is this, in my inquiries into the full potential of love, I began to realize that the full potential of love and the full potential of life itself, they're pretty much the same thing. But I can't say that about money or health, why? Because I've met some very wealthy people and they have very low awareness and they are dysfunctional and they've not mastered themselves. I've met some incredibly healthy people who their lives revolve around health and their and their strength and everything else and they're not particularly happy and they're not particularly aware and they're pretty dysfunctional but they're incredibly healthy. But you can't say that about somebody who has really taken the time to master relationships. If you master relationships, you have to master yourself. And for me, the full potential of life itself becomes available. You're not going to see somebody who's mastered themselves also be unconscious with their money. It's not typically normal, right? And you're not going to see somebody who's mastered relationships be completely unconscious about their physical health. It doesn't typically happen. And even if they did have a financial crisis or a health crisis, because they've really taken the time to master themselves in relationships it's very easy to look at that area of life and say okay i'm behind i need to catch up and speed up and bring some integrity to this area of my life it becomes casually easy but it's you can't say the same about people who've mastered health and money the full potential of love and life are pretty much two sides of the same coin from my perspective and just to be clear if you're listening this is not the absence of fun and play and adventure and getting pissed every now and then and going to a concert and going to a festival and living life. Just to be clear, we're not talking about living like some kind of monk and being boring and not knowing how to express ourselves. I'd say quite the opposite. It's about experiencing life in, in a wholeness.
0: In the fullest, yeah. richest form.
1: Yeah, richness is a great word. It's like... The richness of life drains away if you're incompetent around love and relationships. Mm. It gets filled with oppositionality and polarization and what I relate to as the
0: gulag. Yeah, yeah Rory. I mean, that, but that was me. That was me yeah. for over 20 years. Yeah. Literally, that was me. And and now, I mean, you know, I, ch- I chuckle about it to myself and I, I say it to people all the time. I'm just like, look, you know, I see and experience life very, very differently. Very. Like... Remarkable differences, you know. I, I talk about the finer detail, the beautiful magic in this yeah. existence, and people are like, What are you talking about? I'm just like, There is just so much wonder, there is so much beauty, there is yeah. so much love, there is so much depth, mm. and it's it's all around us. Mm. But because we sort of get so bogged down and so focused on the negative aspects, be that our relationships or whatever you know you you can't see the wood for the trees yeah you're touching on something critical it's like the more
1: the more dysfunction we have from incompetence in these critical areas in particular the more thoughts we end up having and not just thoughts but we can think of thoughts as like light thoughts passing thoughts and heavy sticky thoughts we end up with heavy sticky thoughts if you run out of money and you can't pay the rent it's the only thing you think about and they're heavy thoughts and you can't see the wonder and the example I use, my, my wise man, who I've been working with and seeing now for 15 years, he he came in one day and he said, he said oh, I just saw the most magical thing, he said. And it was about this time of year, it was autumn, he said, I could see the imprint of a leaf on the paving stone. The leaf had gone, but I could see all of the veins and the outline. It was absolutely glorious. And I was like,
0: yes. I know exactly what he's talking I about. I want
1: to be in my late 70s and early 80s being filled with the wonder of the imprint of a leaf on the paving stone too. <clears throat> and he didn't miss it. But of course, you're going to miss that if you're full of heavy, sticky thoughts about a, a disconnected partner or an empty bank account or, um, <clears throat> long, you know, illness. And we're trying ultimately to, to have less and less heavy thoughts. Because that's, it's heavy thought that keeps us separate from ourselves and the world. That's the wood from the trees that you Mm -hmm. mentioned. So one of the ways you can look at maturation on a graph is in our 20s, because we're still young and naive and we don't understand exactly the way the world works, we're we're easily knocked out of our center, we have a lot of heavy thoughts. And as we move through life, we're trying to, and we may have many more in midlife, But that's just a process. But ideally we end up being able to, as I said at the very beginning, to be able to anticipate, interpret, and navigate, and respond to life circumstances calmly and with maturity. This is what we want from our elders. And there is less heavy, sticky thoughts in somebody that's lived a a mindful life, you know. It's taken the time to do a bit of work. And I, you know, again, like, I invite you to to go to relationalpowerdynamics.com and have a look at it and say, okay, I'm interested. I would like to meet this guy, this chap, Rory. But if you come, we're going to do some profound work and it'll change you in a good way. Like you'll see more clearly and perhaps be able to navigate your life in a way that um, removes heavy, sticky thoughts and brings more connection and competence to our lives. And just in case you're single in the dating game, competence is sexy, so... You know, oh no that's I, I, a driver for you
0: yeah come along no no i i i, I agree with you and it's, it's interesting when you talk about sort of heavy sticky thoughts i i talk about this a lot with clients of mm-hmm. how you know so many of us just spend all of our lives in our heads yeah and how how dangerous mm-hmm. how dangerous that can be mm-hmm. you know because you you create you know we're wonderful storytellers you know we create incredible stories and then we amazing alchemists and then we attach a load of emotion to it which then just creates this very real experience yeah a lot of the time it's not even real at all because yeah. you just constructed the whole bloody thing in your head yeah. and then you go on and you know that, that that sort of that takes you down these various paths and uh, yeah no it's interesting that you brought it up the sort of heavy sticky thoughts
1: yeah this <clears> because <throat> there's the left brain should really be considered like a tool like a calculator It should be something that we're in charge of we use it to process life and create outcomes and do stuff but we also want to spend time in our right brain which is really thought of as the heart brain which is back inside our bodies inside our wonder and this is why people love to go to a festival or a concert or go and watch a sporting event where something happens inside us where we're no longer in our thoughts and we're swept into something that's beyond words and this is where the wonder is it's just where life, it's why people like sex, because that brief moment, all too brief moment, we are not present. And if you were a particularly competent lover, you're going to be swept out of your mind for a while.
0: Mm.
1: <clears throat> so life is both. But some people are just all about the non-verbal, non-left brain. And some people are all about the left brain. And there's a, there's a happy place in the middle, of course. That's what the workshop's about, you know
0: well i'm 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 incredibly excited me too i'm very i'm very very excited yeah. to uh to further my my understanding in such a such an important aspect of all of our lives yeah um, so yeah no i i I've, I've been thinking about it a lot because i know that you know i've i've worked so hard on fixing creating positive change in just so many other aspects of my life yeah and now this is this is a this is a very important personal aspect of my life right now, and it's an area that I really want to deeply understand, so I can master it, so I can be a, a better friend, a better lover, yeah. better everything really. In those those mm-hmm. you know, have better relationships with my parents, better relationships with my siblings, um, yeah, just better relationships with people, because it's such a powerful gift, right? Yeah you know if you're good and you can communicate and you can create relationships with people I mean that's pretty much the battle over I think you know people, if you can relate to people and you can create friendships you mm-hmm. can create opportunities you can create opportunities you can create whole new lives
1: yeah yep the richness is available
0: the richness mm-hmm. the beautiful complex depth
1: yeah You know, and it's a very simple thing. I I interviewed some palliative care nurses uh, two years ago. And I just wanted to confirm the reports that I'd read on the odd Facebook uh, thing from my own first-hand account. And they all agreed, like, no one's asking for their diploma to be brought to their to their room for those who don't understand what palliative care is it means that there's no more medicine available it's you're you're here to you're going to be dying soon and we're going to try and make you as comfortable as possible <clears throat> and no one no one wants a printout of the email where they got the promotion or, or or a printout of their bank balance nobody wants any of that they want the people that they love to sit with them and hold their hand look them in the eye and be present with them that's what people want That's the only thing that matters at the end of the day is have you built and and fostered relationships where people feel safe with you and they want to hold your hand and be with you and and have tears rolling down their cheeks because they're in awe of the contribution you've made to them in their life. That doesn't happen by mistake. That happens because you have a commitment to become a person that can create that.
0: Mm.
1: It's an absolute win. It's a win in every single direction. There's no downside. There's no, nobody loses.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's just beautiful, isn't it? In a world which is so heavily focused on competition. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's win, win for all. Yeah. No, it's, it's it, the very best thing you can do is render yourself more conscious. It's the most loving thing you can do for yourself and the people that you love is to do your work, gather awareness and render yourself more conscious and able to love.
0: Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, 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 I bang this drum all the time now sort of saying how important it is to do your work, to heal, mm-hmm. you know, to, to to iron out, fix those areas which are sort of holding you back or creating mm-hmm. chaos or pushing you out of alignment. And if you can't do it for yourself, do it for the fact that it's gonna
1: impact the people that you love badly. If you can't do it for yourself, do it for the people that you're gonna impact. Mm. Doesn't matter, just do it. And if you're not ready, that's fine too there's no you know there's no like mandate it's just the invitation of life itself is to render yourself more conscious like i said i don't know if i shared here but i was listening to a joe rogan podcast the other day and he, he makes my point really well he says um you know nothing pisses me off more than uh, old morons I'm like, yeah, that's exactly it. And I sort of say to myself, if you're going to sit down with an elder in his 80s, eight, do you want them to have the same beliefs and convictions they had when they were 24? No. Not a chance. You instantly know that there's that's wrong. There's something wrong with that picture. You may have never considered it before, but you know an 80-year-old should not have the same beliefs and, and worldview as a 24-year-old, or they had when they were 24. Mm. Ideally, they shouldn't have the same worldview and beliefs they had when they were 75. I agree. So what we can deduce from this is that we are supposed to ongoingly reevaluate, and question and upgrade our beliefs and, and worldview throughout
0: our lives. Is that constant expansion of consciousness? That constant yeah. growth, evolution? Yeah. Yeah, expansion. And
1: there's no rush. A 24-year-old should not have the same beliefs and worldview of an 80-year-old. And the 80-year-old should not impose them on the 24-year-old. It's just... The 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 great human developers just shine a light on the next step on the path and say, okay, have you considered looking over there? And then let them take that step. It can't be imposed. Um, I think of it, you know, like shopping for clothes with a child. You don't place a green jumper on the child. You put it on the table and say, should we look at this together? Which would, would you like to try on, the purple or the green? And they say, oh, "Go the purple." I said, "Okay, good. It's very good because you've chosen that. The, the point is obvious. I'm, I'm labouring the point."
0: I'm am I'm, I'm quietly chuckling to myself because mm. um, everything was imposed on me as a child. Yeah. I may be describing myself in the aforementioned story, <laughs> <laughs>
1: and it was a green jumper. <laughs> but that's not what elders do. Elders, elders, human developers are pointing to the next rung on the ladder or the next step on the path for the person they're working with, and you probably know that from your work which is it's there's no victory in in uh, what's the word in vandalizing someone and becoming dependent on you and that's why I'm very explicit in my workshops like, I'm just going to lay out my findings for you and take you through a process and you are going to discover things about yourself and for yourself and you're going to determine what steps if any there are for you to take and I'm not going to do any of that yeah it's not my job I've, it's enough of a if it's not it's enough of a responsibility being responsible for myself.
0: I, know, I, I, I totally agree with you. Let
1: alone wanting to, you know, I, I look at, um, I love watching documentaries on gurus because I find it so fascinating that, that people fall for it. But the idea of wanting a whole group of people to, to, to look to you for answers, it's absolutely shocking to know, me. Right? I'm str- I've got enough to deal with. Like,
0: in my own world. I like to describe myself maybe as just uh, a sower of seeds. Mm. Uh, maybe I'll be the person who just puts an idea in your head yeah. and then you go and you go and explore yeah. that idea yourself and you, you deduce your own <clears throat> takings.
1: Yes, my, the metaphor that works for me is I'm just shining a light on the path and you get to take the step or not. That's yeah. it. That's the deal. And it's, uh, it's much simpler that way it's much more respect of course that's the key thing it's consensual <laughs> and it's empowering
0: so very very powerful yeah very very powerful indeed and I'll say it again I'm very very excited and thank you so much for extending the invitation for me to yeah. to join the workshop yeah is there is there any points you would like to make before we <laughs> thank you for asking I think I'd say
1: this if if you're still listening to this as we come to an end and there's any part of you that has been inspired or has had a sense that this is something that you would like to be involved in or know more about act on that don't wait because motivation and inspiration does pass like a ship in the night
0: I think that's actually that's really really solid advice and I, I, I now say this to people and I talk about if something resonates yeah with you and a lot of people are like well what what does that mean and it's 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 that internal feeling isn't it just deep inside and you might not be able to explain it but if something's pulling you towards okay I I think I need to know more about this yeah then bloody well listen to it
1: act on that (laughs) act on that now because it does pass yeah and you know on a very very simple level what's going to happen? in the balance of power workshop on the 8th, 9th and 10th of November, it's gonna be nothing short of miraculous for everybody in the room. It's going to be remarkable. People are going to talk about it for a very long time. And I know that I'm describing my own work, but I feel tremendously blessed to have made the discoveries that I've made. and, And it's my great honor to share my findings the way I do. And I just, you know whoever's meant to be there will be there but if you have that stirring that you were just describing if you have a sense that something's resonating there's something inside you that is saying hey this is important for you then i look forward to hearing from you and we'll do the work together in in november and that's it really Brilliant. just keep smiling have fun don't take it all too seriously and
0: certainly don't take it too seriously i get into trouble for saying that though we're like, oh, life's just a game. Don't take it too seriously. And it, and it triggers people.
1: It's both. It's a paradox. So just to finish, life is full of contradiction, paradox, and opposite. And what we know is that there are some times in life where you have to be very serious and fully focused. And you have to be committed to step, step over the chasm from which all men shrink. And sometimes you have to be playful and a goofball and be ridiculous And life requires us to be both. And I'm a stand for both. I do not take myself too seriously. But I do know there are moments when I have to give life my full undivided attention. But I also want to go home and be a goofball with my wife and bring out my inner child. So, you know, I think play is critical.
0: I know. I agree. It's both. Yeah. It's both. That's the whole point. Yeah. It's finding that balance. Yeah. That balance of power. That's it. It's been a pleasure. Rory, well, listen, my friend. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been, i mean, I loved you from, from the first moment I met you and your beautiful wife Hannah two years ago. When we, mm. when I first started my journey in, wow. in, in in Ibiza, I can't believe it's two years. And and the last year has been the uh, sort of the, like the pinnacle, pinnacle transformation, and it's it's still unfolding for sure. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming in Such a and, and, and talking about the balance of power. Uh, as I said multiple times, I'm hugely excited and very humbled and honoured that you've invited me to take part. So uh, yeah, it's, it's not long now, is it? Is it
1: seven um, weeks? Seven eight weeks? Six seven weeks? November the eighth. November the eighth. Doors open at eight thirty for tea and coffee. We start at nine. See you. There. Are you are
0: you, are you a Peter Sage? Are we going to be running to ten thirty at night?
1: No, no. Six <laughs> thirty. Finish at six thirty perfect there's lots this it, it's it's very rich content so you kind of need the evening to have dinner with your friends or whoever else is there or on your own and 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 the homework on the friday and Saturdays just to review your notes and just to be like okay wow what came up for me today because it, it's rich so we need to just be with it and um that for me is the most powerful way of doing it for me for what i'm doing hmm. yeah
0: Brilliant. All
1: right, then. All right. Well, we'll, see you in November. Yeah,
0: see you in November. We'll wrap this. I will stick a link to the website in the show notes and all your details anyway. Great. So people will be able to uh, track you down. Perfect. Brilliant. Roy, you're a legend. Such a pleasure. uh, I'm very grateful. Thank Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I hope you found it useful. I hope you were able to learn and sort of take away some interesting tips. As I said before, if you're interested in taking part in this uh, course, over this course the next weekend, then do just reach out. All the information you need are in the show notes, so links, etc. So do just go there to find out um, what you need to do to purchase the tickets should you decide to. I'm going to be there all weekend, so it's an opportunity to come and meet me and to hang out, which would be really awesome if you choose to. But... As always, thank you so much for all, all your support with uh, my podcast. It's been going now just over a year and um, come 2020, I'm going to start to really ramp it up um, again to another whole new level. So big love to you all. Thank you for all your support. Really appreciate it. And I hope you have an amazing day.